have a great theme for the year and it's summarised by knowing, growing and sowing. And it's from Mark 3, 13 through 15. But we're in a series that we've entitled Rhythms of Grace. And it's based on Jesus' invitation in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 and following, where Jesus says, if you're burdened, you're heavy laden, come to me. And then this wonderful statement out of the the message translation, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. A rhythm is something you repeat and you do over and over again, but it's not meant to be a thing of great effort. And that's what spiritual disciplines are. They are rhythms of grace. They are things that we do, not to earn favor with God, not to uh, get into legalism and guilt and obligation, but as we do them, we, we in, put ourselves in a place where God in His grace and mercy can touch us and transform us. So spiritual discipline is something that you do that positions you in a place where God's grace can work in you. And this morning I want to warn you that I'm going to use some words that in this generation are offensive. I use a grammar checker. And I said it, it's a well-known one. I'm not promoting which one. And the whole way through this message, as I checked the grammar, it said this word may be offensive to some people. And I thought, wow, but they're all Bible words. And so I want to talk this morning about the spiritual discipline, and I've entitled it The Freedom of Submission. A deeply offensive word, apparently submission to some people. But let me say up front that none of the spiritual disciplines have probably been more abused than the spiritual discipline of submission. It's been distorted, used to put people down by leaders who are insecure or other relationship where there's insecurity. And nothing can put people into bondage like religion rather than a flow of God's grace, rhythms of grace. And nothing in religion has probably been used more to manipulate people and ultimately destroy them in some way than a poor, deficient understanding of this great biblical truth called submission, that it touches every single one of our lives in all sorts of ways. And the touchstone for understanding biblical submission obviously comes from Jesus himself. Listen to what he said here in Mark, sorry, yeah, Mark 8 verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And then he explains, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He's saying, if you want to cling on to your life, if you want to live unsubmitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and gather things to yourself and control things yourself, he says, you'll end up losing it. But he says, if you for my sake, I want to understand this, it's submitting first and foremost to Jesus. If you for my sake and for the gospel, and the gospel means good news. So he's not bringing us bad news. He says, if you submit yourself, deny yourself, come under my lordship, then everything that you thought you were going to lose, you'll actually get plus eternal life. 
And almost instinctively, that very passage of Scripture, some of us could almost want to draw back from those words. Because in our generation, we're much more comfortable with the terms like self-fulfillment, self-actualization, than with denial. Deny yourself. And Jesus teaches that in surrendering and submitting to Him, that we really discover who we are and we find that reality of self-actualization, not in clinging to self, but in the yielding to Him. Let me just make a few statements of what submission is not. And they kind of a coverall to every aspect we're going to touch on today. Submission does not mean you lose your identity in submitting to somebody else. Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. Just thought I'd pause on that one. Submission is not putting the will of another before the will of Christ. And submission very importantly, does not mean living or acting out of fear. And any relationship where there's abuse, that's not submission, that's just abuse. And I understand for some that may trigger something and I hope you'd be comfortable talking to one of our team or somebody else you can have confidence in. You see, Jesus calls us to this life of submitting to Him, to His Lordship, to us denying ourselves because He practiced what He preached. And I want you to come with me to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an incredible moment recorded by the, in the Gospels. And He's just had the Last Supper He's introduced the symbols, the emblems of the new covenant that we're going to be celebrating in this service at the end of this message. Take this bread, which is broken, so representing the broken body of Jesus. Take the cup, the blood that was shed, sealing the new covenant. They've sung hymns and they've gone out of the city onto the Mount of Olives. And there he begins to pray in great agony, knowing what he's about to face to accomplish our salvation. It's not just the suffering physically of the cross. It's carrying the weight of the sin of all humanity. It's carrying our brokenness, our rebellion. It's everything in that cup. And in Mark's gospel... These words are recorded coming out of the mouth of Jesus in this place of extraordinary agony, in this place where all of human history is determined by what he will do in the next few hours following. He prays, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And I want you to hang on to these key thoughts. The way Jesus prayed, what he said in this moment of surrendering to the Father's will, he says, Abba, Father, I know anything and everything is possible for you, yet not my will, but yours. I would prefer you found another way of doing this, but I will submit to you 
Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that it has its origins in the Hebrew and all the rest of it. And it's not just Father, Pater, which is the Greek word, which is quite austere. But it's a word that is tender, that is a little child would use, saying, Daddy, catch me. This whole idea of Abba, Daddy, I'm confident in your love. I'm confident in your strength. I'm confident that you love me and care for me. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus surrendered to his Father's will, referring to him as Abba. He was declaring faith and trust and confidence in the Father's nature, character and will. And so there's a whole lot of areas that the Bible actually tells us we should be submissive in. Obviously, first and foremost, we should submit to God. We should submit to God. In James 4 and verse 6 to 8, He, that is being God, gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favour, grace. It's the same word. He gives us more grace and it says, that's why the Scripture says He opposes the proud but He shows favour and grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee for you. Come to God and he will come to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want you to notice he opposes the proud. The people who go, I'm going to do it my way. I don't need God. And perhaps you may even be in that place at the moment or some version of it, but something in your heart is drawing you to God and you're on a journey. And I want to encourage that. I'm not trying to knock you down. I'm just saying there comes a place where you go, God, actually my way is not working. And you come to humble yourself. It's not a groveling thing. It's just a recognition. I need a saviour. I need God in my life. And he says, you will find grace and favour when you submit yourself to God. And you'll be able to resist the devil as you draw near to God in submission and childlike humility. So the first thing that we are called to is to submit to God. Just a little technical announcement. It appears we are battling, I think, to get the screens working. But if you want to uh, follow the outline, and this is true in every service, you can go on our app and you'll find um, all the scriptures and the outline and the heading. Uh, so I know the tech team are working on it, but just to set you at rest. Do you feel better for that public announcement? <laughs> so the first is to submit to God. The second is if you say yes to Jesus, and you call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you also say, I'm going to submit to your word. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, you have no obligation to this word. But if you say, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, I'm a follower of Jesus, well, then you've got to engage with the word of God. And that's a lifetime engagement. It's not just about knowledge, but it's about the application of what I read and what impact it has on me, what demand it places on my life. 
You see, we submit ourselves, first of all, to the Word of God living. Jesus Christ was the manifest Word who dwelt amongst us. We could see what it was like. But we also submit ourselves then to the written Word, the Scriptures. And we yield ourselves, first of all, to hear the Word. So well done, you're doing that. To receive the Word and then to engage with it and seek to obey the Word. Again, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's quite blunt and direct in the way he speaks. So fasten your seatbelt and get ready. James 1 verse 21. So put away everything that is sordid, all that overflow of malice, and humbly receive the word which has been planted within you and which has the power to rescue your lives. But be people who do the word, not merely people who hear it and deceive themselves. He says, put away all this unholy, unbiblical behaviour and notice again this concept of submission. Humbly receive the word of God. Humbly receive the word that's been planted within you. And he says, if you do that, if you engage with Jesus, first of all, and then the word of God and wrestle with it, and at times maybe even argue with God, you'll always lose the argument. But sometimes that's the way we engage in obedience is to have the discussion. And God's not afraid of your concerns or or arguing with him and, and saying, but what about and all the rest of it. But he says, if you do that, you will have the power, this word in you will have the power to rescue your lives. He says, but make sure you're not just hearing the word, you're actually making a commitment to obeying it. I love the promise that is given to Joshua. And it's a great promise for every one of us who engages with God's word and seeks to obey it. In Joshua 1 verse 8, and remember Joshua is about to enter the promised land. He's about to step into something new. And if you want breakthrough and step into something, the book of Joshua speaks about a whole lot of principles that can help us step in to all that God has for us. But he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And the success here is good success. It's not a success where it's promising you billions of dollars, but you destroy your life in the process. It's an enriched life. It's an abundant life. It's a life that overflows. But notice he says you need to keep this word in your mouth, your confession. It needs to engage with your mind. The Bible calls us to renew our mind. Meditate on it day and night. And then he says, and seek to obey it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So our first point of submission is to God. The second is to his word. The third is we are called upon to submit to one another. 
And it's not like you stand in the door, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go, you know. It's that attitude that we recognize Christ in each other. And even for those who don't yet know Jesus, we recognize the mark of God upon them. They created in the image of God, even if they don't believe it. It's about treating each other with dignity, consideration, and all those things. And Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That whole issue, and it doesn't mean you can't disagree, doesn't mean you can't have some full-on discussions about things, but it's about respect and dignity that is extended to each other in that context. And the context in which Paul writes this is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, He's talked about in the verses before people being filled with the Spirit, people who are marked by submission and ordered relationships. And the Spirit of God leads us to humbly submit to one another and using our gifts to serve one another, not using gifts to lord it over people or to enhance your own importance, but using the gifts to serve. That's part of the submitting to one another. He then drops down into a household coat of ordered relationships, wives and husbands and children that I don't have time to drop into. But I want you to get, before you get into that, and it needs to be talked through and explained and and dealt with with dignity and grace, submission within household flows from people who first and foremost have submitted themselves to God who are based on the previous verses, seeking God's will and God's best for everybody in their lives, who are filled with the Spirit, who are thankful worshippers and who are themselves submitted to others. It's then that he drops into the household code of how to order relationships. And so we're called upon to submit to God, to submit to His Word, to submit to one another. We are told to submit to spiritual leaders. And the most radical social teaching of Jesus was his total reversal of the contemporary notion of greatness. He catches his disciples having a conversation about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God and and even two brothers who want to sit one on the left and one on the right and set their mother up to go and ask him for it. And he challenges them that. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, serve. And it's the total reversal of everything that was valued in that ancient world. And even to this day, Jesus' teaching affects democratic societies, even if those elected don't understand. But they are not there to serve themselves. Not saying they never do, but not there to serve themselves, but they're there to serve the people. Jesus introduced that revolutionary idea that now is an anchor point in modern democracies. And listen to what Jesus did. It's one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in the New Testament, Philippians 2, verse 7 and 8. He, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Again, whatever humility and submission Jesus calls us to, He's done it and paved the way and, and sown the spirit of what true biblical submission and leadership is about. And so then the writer of Hebrews says this, and for me, these are amongst the most terrifying words in Scripture as a leader to him or heart in this. But in Hebrews 13 verse 7, we need to understand the context. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So I want you to notice as the writer of Hebrews is now going to talk later about submission to spiritual leadership. He's talking about submission to spiritual leaders who are demonstrating their faith, who are living in a godly way, who are not abusing and misusing power. That's the context. So then he says in verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I want you to notice again, and I'm trying to just balance because this is a, a not, well, I need more authority. I need more people running around after me. I need to be able to boss people. That's not the spirit of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But he's talking about in the context of church life and spiritual life of deferring to leaders. It's not that you can't ask questions. You can challenge. You can inquire. You can do all those things. You can even say no. But he's saying they watch over you and they have to give an explanation of what's going on in your life. And he said, make it easier for them. And he says, and if you do that, there'll be a blessing for you. So we're called upon to submit to God, to submit to his word, to submit to one another, to submit to spiritual leadership, And the first one is to submit to governing authorities. And there's quite a few passages of Scripture that speak to this, but I just want to read Romans 13, verse 1 to 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And remember, he's writing about a Roman government here. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now again, without going into great depth on this, I want to highlight one or two things. It's called upon here that we respect the office of the person leading, even if we don't respect their decisions or choices or policies. And we have the freedom within a democracy to vote against it and not be in rebellion. But it's also talking about the social structures that cause a society to work well. So if you get caught speeding, don't come out and pray uh, against persecution or claim that somehow other, you know, and if you get caught not paying your taxes, 
whatever you may think about what they're doing with your taxes. I'm being naughty now. But there are things that just make a society work. And we're called upon to respect those in authority and respect the office, even if you disagree. But we're also called upon to pray for them. And I've got to admit that probably I don't, we don't pray enough for those in authority. And somebody said that you get the government to pray for. And as much as possible, we should seek to cooperate with governing authorities, obey the law. But we must never allow the law to violate our conscience or cause us to disobey God's word. And there are points, and for another time, that you go where there were certain people who disobeyed because what the law demanded contradicted the higher law of God's word. But be careful with that. One is Daniel, where he's called to bow before an idol, and he said, I won't. And uh, or some of his friends. Another, when he was forbidden to pray, and he prayed anyway. So there's certain points of civil disobedience, if you like. And there may even be consequences, like Daniel and the lion's den. And I think we may be coming into a point in our history where there may be some Christians arrested for simply believing what they believe and speaking about it, hopefully with a spirit of grace and kindness. But I've just opened a whole door there. So we call upon first and foremost to submit to God, to submit to the authority of his word and wrestle with it and engage with it and obey it. We called upon to submit to one another we called upon to submit to spiritual leadership and to governing authorities. But as I draw this to a close, don't get too excited about that thought. But as I do, I want to go back to where we kind of started. I want to talk about moving from slavery, duty, obligation to sonship. And that term sonship embraces all of us. I'm a part of the bride of Christ. Ladies, standing before God, we are sons and includes daughters, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we say that we trust God, but deep down, do we really trust Him enough to submit our entire lives to Him? I hope you catch the question. We say we trust God, and I'm including myself in this. This is not me. I've got it all together telling you. This is an ongoing challenge and thing that you deal with every day, every week, every year, this whole thing. I say I trust God, but do I actually trust Him with my entire life? And what's really important about that? if you're going to submit your life to God, to the authority of his word, is how you understand God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, everything in your life is going to be shaped by how you think about God. And none of us fully understand the fullness of God. If we did, he wouldn't be God. 
So we're on this journey, we're on this discovery. And the Apostle Paul says that we actually see through a glass darkly, but then one day we will see face to face. And so we grow in, in the knowledge of God. But what is your understanding, your image of God? And for some of us, the reality of who God really is, is buried under the rubbish of religious behavior, bad experiences, misconceptions. And we're on this journey to know God as he really is. Because if we don't trust his character, his love, that he, is, he wants the best for us, we'll find it very hard to submit to him and to his word. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. For God is love. Just think of that. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Confidence in God's love empowered Jesus to submit to his Father's will. And let me remind you of the verse where we started out of God, Mark's gospel. Let's go back to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is in agony of soul, knowing what's before him in order to accomplish our salvation. And he doesn't pray, austere father, demanding father, father who will beat me up if I don't obey. Because, Daddy, Abba, everything's possible to you. And I'd rather you took this cup from me. I don't want to go through the horror of what I know awaits me in the hours ahead. But Abba, Daddy, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus invites us into that relationship with our Heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit that we discover get a revelation of a growing one that he is Abba, Father. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship, and by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if you're struggling with the issue of submission, which we all do at times, in submitting ourselves to God, in handing our lives over entirely to Him, in trusting His will, His goodness, His character, then we should be praying, Holy Spirit, would you awaken in me that sense, that understanding, that revelation 
that I'm a child of God. He doesn't want me to live like a slave. He doesn't want me to live in fear. He wants me to live in that Abba Father encounter. Paul's big on this in Galatians 4 verse 6. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. It's a lot easier to submit to somebody you trust, who you know loves you completely, who would give up everything for you because that's exactly what God did. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is not the fear of God that should cause us to submit to Him. It's the love of God. Father, I trust You completely. Daddy, I trust You with my life that You've got the best for me. Whatever the difficulty, the struggle, the challenge, whatever my fear and anxiety of letting go and letting You do something, Father, I trust You because I know and I rely on the love of God that He has for me. Abba Father, He said, everything is possible for you. I don't want to drink this cup, yet not I will, but your will be done. What an extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary thing that Jesus modeled. 